The scripture reading for this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And the word of God reads, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord to us. I have a question for you this morning. What did you expect when you came here this morning? What did you expect when you came in? I'm sure there were certain things that you expected would, would happen. You perhaps expected to sing some songs. You expected to greet some people, and if not greet them, at least see some people here this morning. Since this is a church, and it's East Point Church, I hope you expected that the Bible would be read and that you would perhaps hear someone pray. Some of you came expecting to hear Pastor Tony preach this morning. Well, here I am. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever you expected, I imagine that you came with, with some. At the, very, at the very least, you came expecting that things would be as you expected them to be. Quote, unquote, you, might, you expected them to be uh, normal, that things would be somewhat status quo. Here's the deal. Your expectations, uh, your, your expectations have the ability to either disappoint you or leave you brimming with wonder and amazement. Take, for instance, high expectations that go unmet. You know, those times when things don't play out the way you thought or expected them or envisioned that they would play out. Those unmet, unmet expectations often lead to frustration and, and disappointment and, and anger and perhaps fear, resentment, and other negative emotions. Unmet expectations are hard uh, to process. But then, there are some times when our expectations are far too inadequate. We, we go somewhere or we encounter someone 
and our experience or our, our interaction far exceeds what our expectations were. We had expectations of how they were supposed to go. And when it happens, they are far greater and far, far more impactful than we could have even ever imagined. But here's what I fear. Here's what I fear. Most of us, because we have been so burned and left disappointed by unmet expectations that we either have of people or circumstances or situations, and, and we set the bar so low on the expectations that we have or place on others so as to not feel that disappointment or frustration again. Now, managing your expectations is a good thing, if, if you ask me. It is a very good thing. We place, unfortunately, on people and on situations far too high expectations. And so we find ourselves, when those expectations are not met, we find ourselves with those negative emotions that we mentioned. Setting, managing your expectations is a good thing. But here is the problem with that. We carry those low expectations into our relationship with God. We assume that God is like us, and if our expectations of him are too high, then he will disappoint us. Brothers and sisters, here is what I want you to understand this morning. Whatever expectations you have around how God works or what he can do are far too inadequate. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Our expectations of how God can work and what he can do are often too inadequate. They're, they're too low. Listen to how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, and God is able, he is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Remember Moses, when God told him that he was going to go before Pharaoh that he was to go before Pharaoh and, and command Pharaoh to release the, the, the Hebrew people. Um, Moses is, is fearful. And he says, Lord, I, I cannot speak. My, my tongue stammers. And listen to what God says in Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
Brothers and sisters, this is how God works. His ways are not our ways. He, he doesn't think on our wavelengths nor operate on our timelines. His formulas are, are different than our formulas. Our expectations of how he works and what he will do are far too limited. How do I know that? How do I come to that conclusion with confidence this morning? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means that our expectations of what God can do are never too high. They are never inflated. The empty tomb gives us confidence to believe in a God who can do exceedingly more than all that we can think or imagine. We will see that, I believe, in our text this morning. Listen, those first century disciples had expectations. They woke up that Easter morning, that first Easter morning, with expectations. The morning after their Lord was buried, they expected things to be as they expected them to be. Status quo. When people die and are buried, there is an expectation that they will remain so. Disciples, in some sense, in a, in a natural sense, were, were right to believe this. They were right to believe this. As we saw the last couple of weeks, there was no denying, right? It was very clear that Jesus, Pastor Tony made it clear, really died. He really died and really was buried. There were eyewitnesses and clear evidence that Jesus indeed breathed his last breath on the cross. And, and the Roman soldiers, we, we said, confirmed that by piercing Jesus in his side. And we, we saw blood and, and water rush out of his side. It was no denying that his body had been prepared and, and then laid and placed in a tomb. There were those who performed this task. At the risk of their own lives, there was, there was no incentive, they had no incentive to fabricate this story or this detail. And so, the expectations of the disciples on that Sunday morning were that Jesus was dead and still in the tomb. But as we mentioned, expectations are tricky. The disciples, as we will see this morning in our text, went to the tomb with some expectations. But those expectations were far too low, and they were going to find out that God could do more than they could think or even imagine. The text, this text this morning is full of exceeded expectations, and it starts with John telling us who was first to see the stone rolled away. Continuing with his theme of highlighting 
uh, unexpected participants in this post-crucifixion scene after uh, speaking of the faith-induced courage of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, John says that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb of Jesus. This is unexpected. This is unexpected because you see in the first century, sadly, a, a, a woman's testimony was not considered valid. They could not be called as a witness to testify in courts, nor was their testimony considered to be uh, reliable. If you were building a case, if you wanted to prove a point, or you were wanting to get people to believe a message, the expectation is, is that your, your witnesses, and at least your first witnesses, would be men. That would have been the expectation of those hearing and reading this account. But God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. They are far better. The expectation may have been that the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb would have been men. But God was doing something better. He was exceeding expectations. He was dismantling the sinful idea that one gender was better than another gender. He, he was calling attention to the value and the dignity of women and ultimate identity that rest in Christ. In Mary being the first eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, and, and there are other women that the gospel writers tell us about, Jesus was giving example to what Paul would later say in Galatians 3 and 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We need to stop setting our expectations so low in terms of who God can use as a witness for him. None of them, no, nobody in the first century would have thought a woman would be the first eyewitness to see Jesus. We need to stop setting our expectations so low. Could, could the Lord use a child to be a witness for him? Sure could. We need to stop setting our expectations so low. God will use those we least expect to be a witness uh, for him. Ah, oh, Mary. Mary would be the first to the tomb, is what John tells us. He, she got there first. And the other gospel writers tell us that she, she had gone early in the morning carrying uh, additional oil and spices to anoint the body of Jesus. She went expecting Jesus to be in the tomb. But when she arrived, her expectations were not met. They were unmet. The stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and her unmet expectations didn't give way to joy or, or, or amazement. It, it gave way to fear. 
John tells us that after seeing the stone, the stone rolled away, she ran. Mary ran. She, she, she was compelled to tell Peter and John what she saw. And upon reaching them, she utters this fear-drenched assessment of, of the situation. John 20 and 2. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary, Mary was convinced, she was convinced that someone had taken the body out of the tomb, maybe stolen the body of Jesus. What, what other explanation could there be for Jesus not being in the tomb? What, what, whatever she thought happened, she obviously didn't think it was a good thing. They stole the body. They have taken the Lord, she said, which is telling about her expectations. When what she expected to happen didn't happen, her first thought was, this is a bad thing. Something negative has happened. Don't we do this, brothers and sisters? Don't we do this all the time when things don't go as we expect? Our first thought is something must be wrong. Something must have happened. Things didn't go according to the way I think they should have gone. Therefore, there is some evil intent behind it. Oh, this was, this was John the Baptist, right? He gets, he, he gets put in jail. He's been preaching about the one who was to come and, and, and Jesus. He baptizes Jesus and, and he is put in jail for speaking the truth. And what does he do? He questions if Jesus is really the Messiah. Are you really the one or should we look for another? Something bad happens. Didn't go the way he was expecting it to go. And he assumed something bad was happening. We saw this with Martha. Jesus delays in going to Bethany to attend to his sick friend Lazarus, and Martha is convinced that something bad, something negative, something evil is happening. Brothers and sisters, when unexpected things happen, let's not be so quick to dismiss it as something bad or negative happening. Let's not a, a rush to assume the, the worst. Don't let fear grip your heart. There is perhaps a better way. There is something you can say. Perhaps you can ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you are doing. You're sovereign, oh Lord. I know you are sovereign and you are in control of all things. Show me what you are doing, Lord. Help me see. Grant to me the eyes of faith. I know you are doing something. Please show it to me. Oh, Mary. Mary thought something negative had happened. And so she runs and tells Peter and John. And Peter and John, upon hearing the reports of of Mary, they, 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 take, they take off for the, for the tomb. But, but before they take off for the tomb, we are told in another gospel that they thought Mary was telling an idle tale. They thought she was just, she was just playing with them or, 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 was, or, or wasn't, wasn't telling the truth. But once they finally, finally believed her, they, they take off running uh, for the tomb. They want to see for themselves 
and perhaps find out, try to figure out what happened. So, so, they, so they take off running. And, 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 and I guess I'm assuming for some comedic effect, I don't, I don't know why else it would be there, uh, uh, John, John says that he outran Peter <laughs> to the tomb. It's like an old man joke because, uh, you, you know, uh, John was younger than Peter. <laughs> so so he, was, he puts it in there, we don't know why, saying that, saying that he, John, got to the tomb first before Peter. And as, as John gets to the tomb, he, he, he looks in and he too sees something unexpected. Whereas Mary noticed that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, John notices as he looks in that the linen cloths that wrapped the, that wrapped the body, the dead body of Jesus, are there lying in the tomb, but there is no Jesus there. He had perhaps expected to see nothing in the tomb when he when, when Mary told them that the stone had been rolled away. But the linen clothes, it appears, threw him for a loop because he stops and just peers into the tomb. He does not go in. It gave him pause. John says he didn't go in, but stood from the outside looking in. John's response to the unexpected was not to be gripped with fear like Mary, but his response was with some trepidation. He had some fear as well. He was thrown off by the grave clothes still lying there in the tomb, folded up. We can probably assume that it, this whole situation just overwhelmed him. He was, he was perplexed by the situation. He knew something was not right, but at this point, the resurrection was far from his mind. He was not thinking about a resurrected Lord. He probably started doing what most of us do when we encounter the unexpected. If we don't run in fear like Mary did, we begin to explain it away. He started running through the scenarios, perhaps, and, and started speculating on, on what could have happened. His, his first thought, perhaps, was no doubt that, that someone had stolen the body. Somebody took, took the body out of the tomb. And here, here's the thing. That was not a far-fetched idea. The robbing of, of, of graves was a common occurrence. People were buried with jewels and expensive oils and spices, and therefore thieves would often pillage tombs for their riches, for the riches that they contained. Perhaps he thought the, the chief priests and, and the other religious leaders took the body to discredit the followers of Jesus. If, if, if they said, if the followers of Jesus took his body and they said that Jesus rose from the dead, well, then we could just produce the body and say that they, they weren't telling the truth. Maybe the Romans took the body and placed it in another tomb to prevent people from taking it and causing other issues. Scenario after scenario raced perhaps through John's mind as he tried to explain away what was happening. Why are these grave clothes still lying here? But here's the thing. Those grave clothes still lying there debunked all those theories. 
if someone stole or even moved the body, logic, common sense says, why would the grave clothes still be lying there? What's the point? What's the point of unwrapping the body, leaving the clothes folded up there if you're going to steal the body? <laughs> Sadly, this explaining away of the events of Easter morning have continued throughout the centuries. The truth is, I'm speculating on what John thought and what ran through his mind as he peered into that, that tomb. He, he, he doesn't tell us what, what he said or what he was thinking when he first saw those grave clothes. He doesn't tell us why. He kind of just stopped at the tomb and didn't go in. But I don't have to speculate about the theories people have developed since that first Easter morning to explain away the tomb, to explain away the empty tomb. Many have tried to explain it away saying that the disciples themselves, they're the ones that stole the body. They stole the body and that Jesus, uh, they kind of hit him somewhere in, in some remote location and that Jesus died a natural death later. And, and they did this so that the, this could get Christianity off the ground and get it exploding, right? What they were saying would be true. There are others who believe that, if, that it was all just a, a, a mass hallucination. That, that Mary and the other disciples wanted Jesus to be alive. They wanted to believe Jesus so much. They, they were so distraught over the crucifixion and they loved him so much that it just kind of became a figment of their imagination. And it was just a mass hallucination of, 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 of Jesus. And they weren't doing it in like a malicious way. It was just they loved Jesus so much and they came up with this story. And the last one I'll mention is the idea that the story grew over time. It's the idea that, you know, when you tell a story over and over again, it, it, you begin to embellish it a little bit, and, and it kind of just takes on a life of its own. And so Jesus, they say, never really rose from the grave. The resurrection account is just basically a, a history-long game of telephone. Over the centuries, these have been the responses to the empty tomb. What's interesting is that the unexpected, right? Because it was unexpected. The grave clothes lying there, the empty tomb, it was unexpected. The unexpected has not, has not caused people to see or maybe ask, what did God do? What does God do? What is God doing? What might he have to say about this? The immediate response of people when they see the empty tomb, when, when John saw the empty tomb, was perhaps to, to explain it away. Oh, we need, we need to be careful that we don't think too highly of ourselves. God still does the unexpected. He saves someone we least expected. Heals a disease that we didn't think could be healed. 
and we don't attribute it to the Lord. We just explain it away. We come up with all different types of theories to explain what could have happened, and we don't attribute it to the miraculous power of God. That was John's first inclination. Still perplexed, he stood outside the grave, peering in, hesitant to examine it any further until Peter finally arrived. Peter arrived at the grave and pushed him aside. For, for all the unexpected things that happened that morning, what happened next, uh, one could have expected and predicted. <laughs> Peter went running into the tomb. <laughs> of course he did. He was, he was the brash Peter. He was, he was the loudmouth, the, the impulsive Peter. He gets to the tomb and pushes John aside and he enters into the tomb. I am not sure what, what Peter was thinking. None of the gospel writers tell us what Peter went, why, and he went barreling into the tomb. But it seems from his action, he knew something was up. It appears he entered the tomb not seeking information, but seeking confirmation. I, I think Peter was not sure what had happened, but he believed that God was up to something. He too saw the grave clothes. And then we read this, John 20 and 8. Then the other disciples, this, this is John. John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Following the boldness of Peter, and, and I don't think we should miss this. I, I hope I'm not reaching here, but sometimes it takes the faith of others to help us evaluate it the unexpected with eyes of faith. Rather than just explaining it away. We need those to ask the right questions and, and dig a little deeper and they challenge us to, to take a look. Don't just explain it away. Ask, what is God doing? John follows Peter into the tomb. And as they look together at the close, and I imagine, explain, exchange some thoughts, John then says, he saw and believed. That morning, the disciples woke up. They expected that Jesus was dead and buried. D despite Jesus saying several times, despite Jesus saying several times, times that they would see him again. They were not expecting the resurrection. Nobody woke up that morning expecting a resurrection. And as they stood in that empty tomb staring at the grave clothes, they realized that their expectations had been far too limited. Jesus had really died and he was really buried and now he had really raised from the dead. That was the realization that they came to. John, when he says he saw and believed, is declaring his faith, his, his belief in the risen Lord. He, he, he 
did not yet see him physically, right? We are told later on that Jesus appears to them. That morning, all they saw was an empty tomb and grave clothes. And that was enough for them to believe. Believe what? What did they believe? What, what could they have believed in? Believe, they, they would have believed that Jesus was who he says he was. That he was the long prophesied Messiah and that he, uh, and that what he said to Martha was true. In John eleven twenty five 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he shall die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Mary. Martha, excuse me. And he asked us this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus was risen from the dead? That the tomb is empty? And that because he lives, you too shall live? Oh, that's that's what John and Peter believed that morning. The empty tomb exceeded their expectations, and that empty tomb changed everything. Everything. First, first off, they, they, they saw the scriptures with, with, with new eyes. John tells us why their expectations were so low. He tells us that they were, were not thinking about the resurrection. They, that, that, was not, that was not in their, in their framework. That was not in their mind. They did not understand the scriptures and how they pointed to that moment they were experiencing that morning. But in the tomb, as they exchanged notes, they now saw clearly they should have expected this. Psalm 16 and 10 perhaps ran through their mind where the psalmist says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your body or let your Holy One see corruption. Not only could they have relied on the Old Testament scriptures, they could have thought deeper and paid greater attention to what Jesus had said when he walked with them. After Peter confessed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus clearly stated to his disciples in Luke 9 and 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. It's just one of the places, just one of uh, the places where he said it clearly but he also spoke in, in figures of speech, saying that if they destroyed this temple, then in three days he would raise it up again. The markers and the indicators were numerous and clear. The, the disciples, when going to that tomb that morning, should have had higher expectations. But they need not dwell on what they should have expected. The tomb was empty now. The tomb was empty now. They need not dwell on what should have happened. Their expectations had now been exceeded, and they were overjoyed. I love how Luke tells it. 
He says that Peter left the tomb marveling, marveling at what had happened. I think he was running to the tomb in fear and trepidation and, and not knowing, and he left running from the tomb with joy and with, 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 with marveling at what God had done. Oh. Whatever expectations they had, they were now going to be exceeded. Whatever expectations they had of what would happen next were going to be exceeded. Where death was once the expectation, because Jesus got out of the grave, one could now expect eternal life. For in the resurrection, you do understand that death was defeated. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. When, when, when Jesus got out the grave, it was death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death had been defeated. And because death was defeated, Jesus was simply the first fruits. Those in Christ would be raised as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Oh, brothers and sisters, when Jesus got out of the grave, our expectation of death being the end of the story was no longer so. That expectation was exceeded with the promise of eternal life. Oh, but not only, not only that. When Jesus got out of the grave, it meant that there is more to this life than we expect. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ if in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. You and I can not only expect to live life, but we can expect to live it abundantly. Abundantly, like the song says, life is worth the living just because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow, and not just face tomorrow, I can live it to its fullest. Oh, brothers and sisters, our God is able and does more than you and I can think or imagine. The empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirmed that. It changed everything. Therefore, therefore, can we, can we stop projecting low expectations on God? The, 
the God whom you pray to, the God whom you say you believe in, raised Jesus from the grave. The tomb is empty. Surely, if he was able to do that, surely then you can believe that he is able to heal your broken relationship. Surely then, if he got out the grave, then he can save your most wayward family member or friend. Stop managing your expectations when it comes to God. You and I can come here this morning, yes, and expect to hear singing and to hear praying and to fellowship with one another. But you can also expect the Spirit of God to make you new, to, to renew you, to make you more and more like Jesus. And you, you can expect to, to see God grant you victory over your sin. You can, you can expect to see God give you joy for sorrow. In fact, he says, we ought to live our lives knowing the power of the resurrection. Romans 8, 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your model, mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, that's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of the empty tomb. The resurrection gives us confidence to believe God can do more than we can think or ask. Oh, the resurrection gives us the confidence to sing with, with full assurance, full belief. That song children sing. Perhaps that song that, that you sing. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. He, got, he, he raised Jesus from the dead. Stop setting your expectations so low. God is able to do far more abundantly than you can think or ask. The confidence we have in that truth is that the tomb is empty. Jesus got out of that grave and he lives. He lives. He lives. Let's pray.